Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is Aaron Izarek, the head coach at Bridgeton Academy, one of the rare prep schools in New England that has a fall baseball season. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. Yeah, I wanted to really kind of dive into that fall baseball season and the opportunities that you have at Bridgeton that are so rare uh, among prep programs in New England. So you're, play, you're, I guess, already starting the fall season. You have a lot of postgraduates. We published a list recently with maybe 15, 20 guys that are new for you this year. How does your fall season work in terms of logistics and who are, who are you playing throughout the course of the season? Yeah, so having the fall season in addition to a traditional spring season certainly elongates our ability to develop players. It gets guys in front of college coaches if they are uncommitted in the fall and when roster spots are still available. And it's advantage to the to the student athletes for sure, but for us as, as a coaching staff and as a school, the more time we can have with the guys, the better we can prepare them for college. So they're going through a college block schedule here, certainly going through a showcase league schedule. That's our weekend league, 18 and under type league on college campuses in New England and playing competition. And then we play junior colleges and fall travel teams, probably about 20 or 22 games plus playoffs each fall. You mentioned the new group every year. It's, it's a pretty cool mission. Everybody comes in with with plans and goals and dreams and we get to do it all together. So this is a this is an opportunity for guys to come and some guys are committed on the way in and they're preparing for wherever they're going to go. They already bought their t-shirt. They know where their, their visit's going to be, and they go do it. Other guys coming in here trying to understand where they fit, how they fit. They may not even they may not even know what they want yet. And so I think that's the part of the ex- exploration that, it, that is, is exciting for families and the outcome with it. Placing an uncommitted postgrad, I'm not sure how to do it other than in the fall, and then help them out and get them out on the field. Yeah, that's really the when the recruiting would happen. Now, fall or uh, college teams, it seems like a lot of their recruiting happens in the summer during the travel season because they're they're playing in the fall too. They're get they're back on campus. We just talked to new UMass Lowell coach Nick Barisi. I guess they only have two or three scrimmages, so there is there is kind of a window for coaches to get out and see guys on the road. You must have a lot of connections with college baseball coaches who are kind of staying up to date on your schedule and finding out when guys are pitching and things like that. What's that network like? I mean, the network's a fun one to carry. Obviously, opening your phone and showing people who you know is is, is one easy thing to do, and anybody can really do it. It's how you stay connected with those people and, and connect them with the right players, not overselling or underselling, letting, letting the player know he may fit best in this program but not that program, and vice versa letting a program know that this play, this player may fit better than another. A lot of objective feedback, certainly metrics and data and all the collection tools like Rapsodo and stuff that we have help a lot because it takes the subjectivity of how good Coach Isaac thinks this player is. But being able to connect with guys from around this area, certainly there's schools that say, listen, we're not finishing our recruiting process until we see Bridgeton in the fall. Those are the easy ones. Those are the fun ones. Not every school has that benefit. They may need to make a decision on a kid in July. But there's plenty of roster spots available for the right kids in the fall, and that's why we have what we have. So we'll have guys commit, if you will, or sign everywhere from June or July upon entry to Bridgeton all the way through the spring season if, if coaches want to cross-check. Or if a kid really develops, he may he may push through the fall and all of a sudden pop in the spring and have a different fit in the spring than he would have in the fall. Hmm. And what's your recruitment like? Because I know you've got to find these guys that are going to come to your program and contribute and be uh, postgraduate players. And you almost need to f- 
I, I would assume most of them are uncommitted, if not all of them are uncommitted. How do you find the right players for your program? I mean, it's it's our program's two things, amongst other things with the school. But when you talk about in an elevator, Bridgeton baseball, committed to player development with a focus on college placement. And if, if a young man who played high school baseball wants to come in and experience that and, and maybe play college baseball, this is a great place for him. This isn't a place to certainly try baseball for the first time, or if it's a hobby for you, it may not, it may be above that a little bit, but we're looking for the right guys. It's just, you can't place guys who don't have high character, who who don't necessarily want to do the right things off in college. College coaches are putting their livelihoods on the line for 18 to 22 year old young men each, each day and each weekend at school. So you got to make sure that you get the right guys who can go and get the right grades, get the right hits, strike out the right guys and do the right things off the field. So I think the reality is, is when you bring guys into Bridgeton, it's, you know, a breakdown. I don't, I don't sit at a field and go pick out the five best players. Four of them may be committed and the other one may not want a PG. It's going to be who wants the PG. A lot of the young seniors, maybe a June or July birthday, just would like to catch up and reclass. Other guys maybe want to reclass to find a, a different fit. So if a school they're targeting isn't recruiting an outfielder in the next year, but they reclass, they need two of them it's a good option at Bridgeton has become a, a part of a different class. So there's a million different ways to cut it up. And there's for 150 different students at Bridgeton, there's 150 different reasons they come. But for me, the discussions I have with families, there's all about opportunity that's developed here. And you bet on yourself a little bit as a player, but going through the right process and talking to college coaches on the way into Bridgeton, letting them know where to find you. You talked about the fall season and, and getting co- college coaches in front of us and vice versa the players let them know, hey, listen, I'm going to become a 2025 grad at Bridgeton. I'll send along the fall schedule when I have it. Um, here's Coach Isaac's information if you don't already have it. All that stuff can happen um, before they even show up on campus, and that's stuff we work on with them in the summer. Has it gotten more competitive since the pandemic? It seems like a lot of players outside of the ISL anyway here are doing the reclass and PG seasons more are you finding there to be more competition for the kind of players you're looking for? Yeah, 14th year here at Bridgeton, so I've, I've seen it a couple days. It's always been competitive for PGs. COVID and the pandemic certainly pushed students and all students, male or female, to look at getting a year back, whether it be athletically or academically, and, and created some gaps for from virtual learning, that sort of stuff. But I think there's always been competition for PGs. They, they're, an, they're an older player. They tend to fit pretty well into a a four plus one type school where the, the PGs can can go in and go through a post-grad cohort. For us, the the key is that we're committed to PGs. We can do a senior year. Uh, we don't recruit the seniors, but if they want to come here for their senior year, I have one on the team this year that he kind of felt like he needed a little bit more than what he was getting in high school, not from the school, but just in general athletically, he needs to decide to come up to Bridgeton. So there is another level that can be found here and opportunities that, that arise here are are real and competition is competition. It's recruiting. We we match up well with our facilities and our mission and our ability to to place the PG and, and go through a, a PG committed process as a school with PG level classes and, and PG only dorms and those sorts of things. There's there's advantages at Bridgeton that other places may not have. Right. And I know uh, another advantage that you had mentioned earlier, the Rap Soto and the, the technology that you can offer and the data that you can provide to recruiting coordinators and coaches at the college level. How do you, how do you provide them with that? Like where everybody says you want to make that public and you want to provide it to coaches. Uh, is it, 
social media? Are you emailing coaches? Are you calling them and saying, hey, I just had a guy with a 101 exit velocity? Or how do, how do you get kind of get that to coaches? I think it's a piece of the puzzle. I think end of the day, the network I got, the questions are not about exit velocity or launch angle right away. It's, hey, what type of player is he? What type of kid is he? What kind? What, what's the family like? Is he a good teammate? Those things are things that don't show up in data and metrics. Um, they don't add up to the best player yet. Um, if you can take those first three or four questions and answer them the right way and, and have some some teeth behind them, then the one-on-one exit velocity makes a big difference. And I think that's the part of it that we supply the guys. We have it here. We break it out a couple times a week. And we try to bring it out so it's not a new thing. You don't want to ever play home run derby on day-to-day. You want to make sure that you go ahead and it's just recording what you're doing. It's not trying to put a big number on the exit velocity or on the fastball velocity or on the movement of a breaking ball. It's just trying to show what you can do on any given day. And it it allows coaches, when they college coaches, when they watch a video, oh, I like the way the kid swings, or I like the way the kid moves, or I think that fastball is firm. You can put the Rapsodo right in the screen and say, here you go, this is what that was. Or they can access their own Rapsodo account and, and send it over to coach. So it's just another layer of, of one, credibility for sure. But it also it reinforces a lot of the placements that we can have that when I think a player can play a certain place, I could be wrong. And and, and the Rapsodo helps a lot. If, if I say a player maybe shouldn't pursue a certain place, I could be wrong there too. So I'm only a piece of it as well. That the family, the player, the college coach, it all fits into one big puzzle that is directed through the student athlete going to a place where they're going to graduate, have a college baseball career, be happy, and 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 have a great experience. Yeah, it is a, a difficult balance with the, the Rapsodo and the velocity data because – I've talked to coaches or scouts who will say guys can get consumed by that and all of a sudden they're in the cage every time they're swinging the bat, they're looking back and what was the number, what was the number, what was the number? How do you keep, prevent guys, or not prevent it, but at least steer them away from getting consumed by those numbers? Yeah, I think there's, I'm, I'm right in the middle. I got a little old school to me where I like to just see a guy play and, and batting practice means less than how he handles himself in a game or in the dugout. With data and Rapsodo and TrackMan and all this stuff that's normalized, if you're not doing it, you're probably missing. But if you're only doing it, you're probably missing. And I think, it, like I said, it's a piece of what we do. And I made a change when we first got Rapsodo in, in the summer of 20. Uh, it was one of those things that you say, we'll break it out on the right day. And, and guys got excited and that sort of thing. But in 21, when we were open during the pandemic, it was great feedback for our guys who couldn't play as many games, but they could also develop and, and measure themselves against what they where they were in August. But you bring it out more often, it they almost forget it's there being they being the players. And it's like I said, it's just logging performance and you get great baselines on it. You might be we had a we had a pitcher in 2018 jump from 84 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour. That's a great thing for us to talk about. It doesn't happen for everybody. It may be 84 to 85 and a half. It's not all about velocity, but maybe a strike percentage went through the roof with Rasoto tracks. Maybe his spin rate is better. Rapsodo can dictate a lot of jumps that are coming. A high spin rate. We had a player who is off at Endicott, a pitcher, and he had a high spin rate. And you knew a velocity jump was there. He experienced a velocity jump, and he's got a big role there now. So there's a lot of pieces. Like I said, it's 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 not only for the experts. It can do what you want it to do. But you know, making sure it's not a special day um, when it comes out is probably my biggest advice there is Make it as normal as you can, but don't rely on it. I don't hold it against guys that, hey, listen, your exit velocity is only 86. We can't talk to that coach. It's not that. It's it's not that at all. It's just feedback for us to understand the type of player and help inform the level that maybe we can perform at, depending on what level they're looking at. 
You played college ball at University of Maine, so you're obviously familiar with the fall slash spring weather climate in, in this area of the country and especially in Maine. Um, now, it's an eight-week season, so I w- when I was thinking about it, it's probably even better in September and October in Maine than it would be in March, April, May, you know, in terms of weather. How do you balance losing daylight, cold days? I know guys are going to have to play in cold weather in college if they're staying in the Northeast. How do you kind of sell that to recruits? I mean, the opportunity to play in the fall, it doesn't sell itself, but it exists in, in its own space. Two interesting seasons, if you think about temperature. In the fall, it gradually gets colder. In the spring, it's gradually getting warmer. So it's it's an interesting little dichotomy there. But I would say this, that everything we do here at Bridgeton, very similar to what we, do, what we did at Orno back when. Not dated information, but there's a fall baseball season when you go to college of five, six, seven weeks, depending on what the, the division one, certainly division three, it's more like three or four, but there's a fall baseball component when you go off to college and it, it can be a long experience if it, if you're not used to playing every day for that period of time. And that's where jobs are won and lost. That's where you kind of get comfortable with your teammates. There's a, there's an advantage to doing fall well. And we try to do that here at Bridgeton is have them experience games, everyday practice, team defense, player development, and then in the spring, it's it's the opposite, right? You're, you're playing games and, and both both seasons matter. I, I always tell the guys that the fall is for them and the spring is more for the school. When In the fall, it's not equal playing time because equal is not fair and fair is not equal. But my goal there is to get everybody an opportunity to understand where they fit, get in front of the right people and inform their college application process. In the spring, a lot of guys already know where they're going. So there's less focus maybe on who's at the game that day or who's watching that day. And we can play it more like a college program where we have some roles developed and a starting rotation. And maybe you're a third infielder in the middle that gets in there later in the game or vice versa. And they got to learn how to do that because even the starters here at Bridgeton, they're going to come off the bench as freshmen. And they got to understand how to pinch hit and go get, go lay a bunt down or steal a base in a big spot or play the defensive position for six outs at the end of the game. Those are all things we talk about here. Yeah, and I was looking at your your bio. It's pretty impressive what you've done even before coming to Bridgeton. You were um, a coach at University of Maine, uh, pitching coach and catching instructor. You've been a manager uh, or a coach in the NECBL, the Cape League, NECBL Manager of the Year, uh, General Manager. So you've got a ton of experience. What brought you to Bridgeton in 2010 after coaching at the college level? Bridgeton was an interesting opportunity that uh, back then the, the head of school at Bridgeton, Bridgeton needed a, a head baseball coach and reached out to my then head coach at, at Maine and said, hey, why don't you look at the Bridgeton opportunity? It's a really good spot. I hadn't been to Bridgeton before, came from my interview and it went well and I <laughs> I was looking at Bridgeton to give me an opportunity to get some head coaching experience outside the summer and maybe jump back into college. And this, this place is every place that guys work, schools are special places, but Bridgeton for me was a spot that I could have real impact on guys and their careers right away. We've had guys go off and you mentioned Cape Cod. We've had Cape Cod all-stars. We've had Cape Cod champions. We've had new England league champions. We've had all Americans. We've had guys drafted. We got guys in power, power five conferences all all the way through and just watching the guys go off and look back at their time at Bridgeton. And maybe they didn't have it June, the June before Bridgeton, they didn't have it. Then all of a sudden by May, they know where they're going. They're off in a summer league as a sophomore They're It's amazing to see the the platform and, and trampoline that can happen here. And so 14 years later, I'm still building. This is a great place to raise a family. It's a great place for young men to learn how to 
play at the collegiate level and 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 function as a college student athlete. Like I said, impact's a big a great word for it. In a boarding school situation, I don't just get to see them and help them from 315 to 530 on any given day and I go home. I have them in study hall. I see them around campus. I serve as athletic director, so I meet the other teams. It's just a it's a great opportunity for for both sides. For me it's fulfilling for sure, but for the students, I hope the impact is in in their success in college. Yeah, you got. I, I mentioned you got a chance to play Division One baseball at the University of Maine, which is it seems like just following on social media, it's everybody's goal these days is to be able to make that announcement. Hey, I accepted a Division One offer from this school, or and it's a lot of what we talked about earlier, the exit velocity stuff, and they're posting videos of themselves and all that. How how different? I assume if none of that was going on when you were getting recruited to play uh, Division One baseball. How much has the the recruiting landscape changed? Not even since you were playing, but even like in the last five to ten years. Yeah, I, I, it's funny you mentioned recruiting. We had a recruiting meeting yesterday uh, as a team and talked about contacting coaches and follow up with coaches and then figuring out where you might fit and X, Y, and Z. I joke with the guys that it's never been easier to to be exposed as a player. If you say I just need some exposure, everybody's got a tool in their pocket where they can <laughs> catch a video and and put it up on social media and be exposed. I joked with the guys that I don't think they understood, but my my, my exposure was on a VHS tape I mailed to 51 different places. <laughs> and so it's still up there in Orno somewhere, I'm sure, holding up a table, keeping it flat. But the the reality with recruiting, it's still being a great player, being a great teammate. Certainly there's more opportunities for guys to play. There's summer ball, there's fall baseball, there's indoor baseball, there's prep schools like Bridgeton. The ability to get help in the recruiting process is real, but I think baseball, the game has developed and adapted again. And so Division One players are better than they were in this, this spring of 2005, the last time I played. By the time I was done at Maine, 2010, the game had, was changing. They changed the bats and fastballs were a little bit firmer depending on where you went. Bodies have changed. Guys' commitment in the offseason has changed. The nutrition is much more significant than it was back when. Um it, it's 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 the same game. It's still 60 feet and 90 feet, and you still compete against the other team. But the pieces of it and the commitment to things like small ball and bunting, and now it's different, and that's okay. You got to adapt with the game too. You were a three-time first-team America East selection at Maine. Did you have a chance to play professionally after college? I talked to Tampa. Back then, it was a three-day draft. I talked to them on day two after day two was complete. And back then, listening to it on a laptop, I still remember it's my now wife's, my in-law's place, I guess. I was listening to it there. And on day three, Tampa drafted their third catcher in the 43rd round, and I shut the draft off. Obviously, I think I'm I'm in good company with about 93% of other baseball players who don't get drafted on, on that day. Right. So that was a learning experience for sure. Went to a couple open trials, had some opportunities to play independent baseball. But at the end of the day, I had... I could have gone and pl- continue to play. I wanted to coach. I wanted to get my master's degree. I was lined up to do that at Orno, and I stuck to it. I, I played some men's league stuff, but I knew I wanted to coach, and I, I always thought that I was a 5'10 catcher who hit for average. I could really catch, but I wasn't a pro. I wasn't going to be a big leader unless things changed, and so I decided to go the coaching route, which I think, obviously, I may, I may not be here in this desk if that wasn't my decision back then. I could have played, could have played more, happy with what? shook out with it and happy I'm here. Do you think it stokes the same competitive fire for you coaching versus playing? 
Yeah, that's maybe more. Maybe maybe have more time to think about it. Maybe have more control over it. Because as a player, you can only do what you can do. I was a catcher, so I could impact things like the pitching sequence that we were calling, or I could back pick somebody. But I only had four bats a game. If the rest of the guys hit better than me and I was the drag, that was a problem. If I was only hitting and the other guys weren't hitting, that was a problem. You can only do so much to player, so you got to compartmentalize it and just have to play as best I can today and keep my level head. With coaching, you got a lot more to that. You got to motivate the guys on your bench. You got to pay attention. You got to pay attention to the lineup and you can impact the game positively or negatively. So there's plenty of fire and, and there's friendly there's there's friendly rivalries for sure you want to win every game again not at the expense of player development or college placement but that's part of that's part of the deal is that if you if you're keeping score you may as well try to win there's no reason not to do that otherwise don't keep score but you can't be in the way of college process or ethical behavior in terms of attendance and making sure your team is going the right direction with a culture. We we build a culture every year and, and the coaches are the upperclassmen here. There's nobody here last year who's going to tell guys where the bathrooms are or what this drill is or whatever. We got to start from the beginning, which is a really great opportunity for the adults in the room to start from scratch and, and have th- have guys understand what it's like to not only play at Bridgeton. I was reminded, this isn't a Bridgeton rule. This isn't what you're supposed to do at Bridgeton and then forget about it. You should be on time for everything anyway. And this is if you're having trouble being on time to a team meeting or to class, you're going to have trouble no matter what level college baseball you go play. That's an expectation. So that's just one example. But we try to teach things that are going to help them at college with Bridgeton just being the uniform you wear to learn those things and, and, and prepare for your next level. Yeah, that actually just makes me think of a, a ch- probably a challenge that might be unique to Bridgeton in that. So, you, you know, you're getting 22 or 22 guys there for a year, a, a PG year, and maybe that, and you said like fair is not equal, equal is not fair. We're going to, we're trying to win. So you get guys on the field. There must be a few guys every year who are not playing as much as they are expecting to play when they get on campus. And then they're like, coach, I'm only here for a year. It's not like I can wait two or three years and get, get my work myself into the starting lineup. Do you ever have guys that are just like, hey, this isn't what I was hoping for i would say this and this is a very loud statement um and i don't want to be forward with it but i haven't had a playing time problem in my 14 years here um it has a lot to do with communication for sure um a lot of the guys who came here were their high school shortstops their high school center fielders their high school catchers and their high school pitchers obviously only one guy can play shortstop here in a game um, they're going to learn multiple positions um, because it's going to help them in the recruiting process. Um, but you, I don't have a starting nine. The best way I could put it, Dan, if I say this to every recruit, when I try to explain playing time and how it's handled here, Dan, if you're my best player and we're playing a team that we beat pretty handily last year, you may not play that day. So I don't roll out the same lineup. I need the guy behind you or around you to get those innings and go be successful, knowing that knowing I know what you're going to do that day, Dan, if we need you, we'll call on you. But if we're on our showcase league playoffs or in a big game in the spring against a, a prep rival, the starting nine's going out there, Dan, you're going to be in the three hole playing your position. Let's go get it. And that is the focus on the student athlete and, and what they need and what their best successful position would be that day. Because Dan, you may not have sat an entire game in your career, but Again, you're going to have to come off the bench as a freshman probably at some point and go get a big hit and be in the game and understand what it's like to sit for two hours and then go and be involved in a game in a meaningful spot. Pinch hitters don't generally come up in non-meaningful spots unless it's a blowout. So pinch hitting is, is a skill you can you can possess for sure, and it has a lot to do with before the game even starts. So 
No, I don't hear the focus is college placement. You can get better. All Everybody gets the same amount of reps in practice. The only time guys don't play here is if there's a disciplinary issue or an academic issue. Outside of that, we play 40, 45 games for the year. There's plenty to go around, obviously injury aside. Right. Awesome. Well, Aaron, are you okay hanging out for the three, three up, three down segment with our producer, David Yaz? I'd love to. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. So this is just general interest questions and I'm bringing plenty of enthusiasm to this, to it this time, David. Three up, three down. The coach sounds confident. Yes. That's good. That's a good sign. (laughs) All right. First question for three up, three down. Coach, you'll take it this one first. Question is, stolen bases, are they overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I think that the stolen base is underrated. I think it's turning a single and a double, double and a triple, a walk into a double. Every 90 feet is important. I think a dirt ball read gets factored in there. It may not count as a stolen base. It could count as a wild pitch, depending on how your official score does it. But anytime you can move up 90 feet, um, Getting back to the metrics, the odds of scoring become better for your team. And last I checked, we count runs and not hits. So I believe that it's important to get to the next base as fast as you can. I've been a fan of baseball for like 50 years. I've never heard that term dirtball read, which now I guess I understand. <laughs> but that, that'll that usually go as a, yeah, I guess it goes as a wild pitch usually or a pass ball. All right. Dan, your thoughts. I probably overrated. I used to love looking at the back of baseball cards, and Ricky Henderson had 130 in a year, and Vince Coleman was always up around 100. And and then all of a sudden, it just turned into a situation where like the Red Sox were like, we're never going to steal bases. That's a waste of an out. We want to keep the yeah, guys on base ball. and hit home runs. But, you know, I, I do get the Aaron's point that it's 90 feet. Like a double, you would much prefer than a single. So uh, if you can get to second, any way you can do it. It's probably different at each level. Like at the major league baseball level, the catchers are so good. The arms are so good. You're less likely to uh, advance due to a stolen base. Whereas high school baseball, yeah, yeah you, you might have six or seven opportunities in a game to swipe a bag. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with properly rated depending on the level of baseball. The, the question looms as to just who you want stealing, I guess, because I'm just randomly picking a player here, but we all remember Sammy Sosa. His, his breakout year was 1990. He hit, I guess he only hit 15 home runs that year, but he, he stole 32 bases, but he was caught 16 times. That doesn't seem like a very good average. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. All right, next question. Let's move along. Dan, you can go first on this one. With your best best guess, how many baseball gloves have you owned over the course of your life, and do you have a favorite one? I'm going to say five or so. I didn't play first base, so I never had a first baseman's mitt. I did not catch, so I never had a catcher's mitt. But yeah, I would say the baseball glove that I used probably when I was like 10 through 14 uh, was my favorite. Do you still, you, you have a working glove now? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How long have you had that one for? Probably I just recently got it. Um, well, I got it in the last few years. My brother-in-law and my father-in-law uh like to have a catch on the beach every summer and oh, nice. i went back and got my old uh glove and it was just i needed a new one so i got one like three or four years ago that's it feels weird as a grown man going to buy a baseball glove doesn't it? a little yeah, bit yeah a little, a little bit, bit. <laughs> especially if it's not broken in you, you have to do that oh in a yeah hurry. You, yep. yeah you got to do that whole thing yep. put it under your pillow coach your thoughts memories of baseball gloves oh yeah i still remember my first one native of toronto ontario so my first black baseball glove that i got for t-ball turned into the the catcher for the goalie in road hockey quite often so <laughs> i think crossing over sports and multi-sport athletes aside i probably i got three gloves in my coaching locker now 
I'm probably over a dozen. I did catch. I probably had, you know, four or five catcher's mitts in my time. I still have my college infielder mitt, um, my second 11-inch uh, Rawlings. Um, I've got one with the Bridgeton logo on it. It's probably my favorite one. Um, they got it on the on the thumb mm-hmm. with your name on the on the on the along the thumb in script. But I think the evolution of baseball gloves. It, you say it's feels weird buying one. I mean, I have an 11 year old and a seven year old. I love going glove shopping with them because Mm. it's amazing what they can do with gloves. I played almost every position on the field, some of them better than others. I never owned a first baseman's mitt. I didn't play outfield enough to have an outfielder's mitt, but handful infielders gloves, definitely um, catcher's mitts and the catcher's mitt will always be a part of my hand. Mm. (laughs) See, I don't know this. You say it's amazing what they could do now. There's something that you actually do to the glove to make it fit? Like uh, I mean, so you like mentioned breaking glove in. You can yeah. order. You can order your glove kind of already broken in, uh, or half broken in, or not broken in. Um, that's an option. The last time I ordered a glove, um, just the weight of the glove, um, the size of the glove. Um, I loved a small, really small catcher's mitt. I didn't like the big ones, so they've gotten like thirty-two and a half, smaller and smaller. It's the weight of them is probably the biggest difference. Durability. It's still leather, so you got to take care of them. But the way they function is pretty amazing. What do you what do you suggest to somebody that asks you like, hey, I need to break my glove in? Do, is it Vaseline or shaving cream or you know, like, do you tie it with a ball in it or what do you do? <laughs> so the tying with a ball in it creates your pocket. Um, I always say just play catch. I tell my eleven year old, I just play catch with it. Just play catch with it. And it, it might be like for a catcher's mitt, it usually helps to go off a pitching machine, right? And just you know, just so you don't have somebody pumping balls at you, you don't know where they're going. <laughs> um, you know, you want one you can catch, but. You know, it, the way you store it, you don't want it to flatten out. So maybe you, by by tying it up, you don't necessarily break it in. You just keep it shaped. Yeah. But I think that I always used to put like mink oil or dub it or some sort of waterproofer on to start it. And then I didn't treat it with much as we went along. Once it kind of had that put in there, the more you do it, the more it softens the leather and it tends to break down a little bit sooner. Yeah. My amateur, my amateur opinion, of course, I don't work for Rawlings or Easton or anything like that, but my my suggestion is play catch play yeah. catch and, and and catch the ball it'll fit to your hand before you know it yeah it used to be they say use neat foot oil which i have no idea what the purpose of that product is other than breaking in baseball gloves but anyway all right final question and coach you can take this one first the simple question is bat flips cool or uncool and i guess the larger question is where do we draw the line in terms of outward displays of enthusiasm in the course of a baseball game Listen, Coach Coach Isaac has, has remained young. I've adapted with it. Didn't do a lot of it, but also didn't hit enough home runs to get excited about. <laughs> I was I was a doubles guy. I love throwing guys out behind the dish. But I think my my opinion of any sort of celebration in any sport, anything that's pre-scripted, I feel like doesn't necessarily belong. If we're practicing and after after practice, the next double we hit, we're going to practice our celebration. I, I I react to that a little bit. But if you hit a, a home run to go ahead in the top of the eighth, like. And a natural emotion comes out. I, I, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I don't worry. I don't mind where your back goes. Mm. I just want to make sure it's not a, a sideshow to the game. I, I'm not a curmudgeon. I don't think that fun is the enemy of baseball. We do have fun, but we're going to play baseball. So I think anytime that it takes away from the game we're playing or the, the something the team's trying to do, I think it can be detrimental. But hey, if 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 there's a reason to get excited, let's do it. Mm. Dan. I'm okay with it. I I don't mind the bat flips. You're right though that yeah, the celebration on second base after the double has kind of morphed into like, oh, now I just had an RBI single. I'm signaling to the dugout to like, I just walked with the bases loaded. Here's my, I'm gonna rock the baby at first oh, yeah, base. Yeah. It's like, 
So that has gotten, I, I'm not that I'm like mind it, but sometimes you're like, you're celebrating and, and a hit by pitch or what, what's going yeah. on there. So, or you're down seven to two and you're celebrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? I, 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 you're, you both are good people to ask. Cause I've been trying to figure this out all season watching the Red Sox. They do that thing when any of them get a hit, they take their two hands and they clasp them together. Like they're, I don't know, s- squeezing a coconut or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's hard to describe on a podcast. Do you yeah. know what that is? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Coach, you know what that is? I don't know what that specific one is. Yeah. I do know that you talk about culture. I do know that things come up. You talk about summer ball and, and, and anything that you can wrap a short-term group around, whether it be a year at Bridgeton or a summer in Sanford or a summer in Hyannis. Listen, it, it, if that's what gets the guys together and gets them to play and gets them to laugh a little bit, mm-hmm. like you got to get out of the way on it. And, and not otherwise, they play – you got to remember college baseball – it, it can be a grind. Um, it is just baseball every day. And I, I laugh at guys when playing baseball and, and getting three meals a day is a grind, but it can be. It, it, and so anytime you can, you can have a little bit of fun as a group that might be an inside joke that is completely above mm. board and, and appropriate. I love that stuff. I, Our guys, Moose Antlers at second base in Sanford. I mean, they, they, it's, it's all the stuff you remember and the guys laugh about. And so whatever works, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I rode the bench in high school and we used to do all those things like, cross your legs at the same time like that you see it in the movie major league where they it just or turn your head everybody turn your hat slightly to the right i mean it, it, it keeps it fun it keeps it light it doesn't mean you don't want to win still of course yeah no it made me aaron when you were saying that that made me think there was a coach on the cape last summer i think he was either in chatham or falmouth but he was like we got a lot of guys who are here and they're telling me what their innings limits are how many pitches they want to throw and it's very individual this summer and he's like this has changed and he's like, we don't have the guy celebrating on second base like some other team. Like, we're just not together. Everybody's got their own agenda. And, yeah, you're right. Like, that is good. If, it, if, if it's a one-year thing or one-summer thing, you need stuff like that to kind of make you feel like a team. So, yeah, I get that. Well, you both have done very well in three up, three down, successfully negotiated that. Coach, thanks to you especially. And to celebrate this awesome episode of the Base Path Podcast, Dan and I are going to flip our bats after the show is over. So... <laughs> Thanks so much, Coach, and back to you, Dick. All right. Thanks to Aaron Izarek for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production. <laughs>